This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Morning. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I have a whole bunch to talk about. Um, but first I'm going to ask you guys a question to allow me to figure out what direction I should go with uh, my talk. How many people here are fairly familiar with me and my spiel? Raise your hand. And how many are not? <laughs> Bad start. Um, okay, that's kind of what I thought though actually, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, give a little bit of my backstory. I apologize uh, for a lot of the people that have heard this, but it creates such a context to the things that I believe in and I'm passionate about, and more importantly, I think we'll really round out the entire story. So I'll go a little faster than normal, because luckily, and I appreciate it, a lot of you do know this, um, but since there's more of you that don't, uh, I'll start with this. I was born in, uh, in Belarus in the former Soviet Union. My family immigrated to the United States in 1978 when I was three years old. Uh, we lived a very, very, very ghetto immigrant lifestyle. Uh, I lived in a studio apartment in Queens, New York, half, uh, excuse me, a fourth of the size of this stage, and uh, with eight family members, including my crazy, crazy great-grandmother, so it was pretty intense. Um, it was one of those things where my dad worked a bunch of side jobs and I never saw him. I actually didn't know my dad until I was 14 because he worked so much. He left before I woke up and got home after I went to sleep. One of the side jobs he got was in a liquor store in Clark, New Jersey and he used to commute from Queens to Clark and uh, he was a stock boy. My dad's first four words in English were Budweiser, Mad Dog 2020 and Boone's Farm. So, you know, kind of great American dream stuff. My dad worked really hard and we eventually moved to Edison, New Jersey. I uh, started my entrepreneurial career in Edison, New Jersey. I, uh, I had seven lemonade stands. Um, do you guys remember Big Wheels, those little bikes? You like those? I used to ride my Big Wheels around Edison, New Jersey and picking up my cash from my friends that worked the lemonade stands like I was little Tony Soprano or something. Um, it was a good gig, good business, I did well. And then when I turned 12, I started my first really big business. Uh, when I was 12, I was selling baseball cards at the malls and, and convention centers. Baseball cards got really big around that time. I was making two to $3,000 a weekend selling baseball cards when I was 12 years old. I don't know about you guys, but when you have $30,000 in cash under your bed and you're 13 and you're not selling weed, you're doing a good job. <laughs> so I was excited about that, that was awesome. I, as a matter of fact, in hindsight, I don't think I've ever been more rich than that moment. I mean, you really do not know what to do with that kind of money when you're 12. Um, bazooka's like five cents. Um, so, that was that and I was rocking and I wanted to build the biggest baseball card business in the world. I wanted to open up 500 locations of baseball card stores. That was going to be my life. I was set. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about school. I didn't care about girls. I wanted to build this. That was it. That's who I was going to be. And then when I was 14, my dad ruined my life. I was getting ready for the biggest card show of the year. It was at the Raritan Expo Center in Edison, New Jersey. A thousand dollar table. It's like the thing. I, I prepaid for the table. I'm getting ready in the morning. I'm pricing my Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards. I'm super pumped. And my dad walks in and goes, you're coming to work now. And I'm like, dad, I, I think you're mistaken. I got the biggest show. I'm not sure how many of you up in the rafters have Soviet fathers, <laughs> but I lost that argument. You have a Soviet dad? Let's talk later. To nice. Nice. Russia represent. Um, so I lost that argument which was devastating. We lived 45 minutes from the liquor store at that point, so I cried the entire way down. It was devastating. And uh, finally, with about two minutes before we got there, I asked my dad how much he was gonna pay me. I composed myself. He said two bucks an hour, and then I really started crying. And that's how my wine liquor business career started. For the next year and a half of my life, um, I, went into my dad's store every single weekend, every single holiday, 
I walked directly into the store and went directly into the basement and bagged ice for 13 hours a day for two bucks an hour. How many of you have seen the movie The Goonies? Please raise your hand. I was like sloth from The Goonies. I was chained to the basement. By the way, I'm devastated. Cindy didn't sing the Goonies song, did she, the other night? Anyway, side note. I, uh, I hated it. I wasn't your normal teenager. I didn't care about liquor and beer. I, I just didn't. And finally, when I was 16 and finally allowed upstairs, something very interesting happened. Probably the reason I'm standing in front of you. It was a normal Saturday kind of summer day. The Wine Spectator had just named Camus Special Select 1990, the Cabernet, the wine of the year. And every single person was coming in and asking for it. And after about 20 people coming in and then leaving because we didn't have it, I decided I was gonna take a back order. We didn't have a back order system in the store, but that didn't matter because I was going to school on Monday anyway, so I wouldn't have to deal with the aftermath. And so I said, the next person that comes in, I'm taking a back order because this is ridiculous. Guy walks in, do you have the Camus? No, sir. I'm like, how many, you know, uh, let me take a back order. He's like, sure. I'm like, your name, address. I'm like, how many bottles would you like? He says, I'll take six cases. I said, oh, an alcoholic. I go, six cases? I go, are you having a party? And he said, no, I collect wine. And that was it. Because I was so passionate about baseball cards and sports memorabilia and all that stuff, that connection to me was humongous. I was like, I remember, do you know when you like hear a song or, or smell something, you can like literally like rewind in your mind to a moment? As I'm telling you this, I don't know if you guys can zoom in, straight goosebumps. I literally remember that moment so, so vividly. I was standing in the middle of the Chardonnay section in my dad's store, and I remember saying to myself, huh, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Ken Griffey Jr., Silver Oak, Camus, Opus One, same sh- I can do this. So I literally, literally took all my effort of learning about like statistics and sports and that and started learning about wine and decided I wanted to build the biggest wine business, blah, blah, blah. Here's where the story starts mattering for you guys and, and makes it worthwhile for you guys to be here this morning. I always thought I'd open up hundreds of stores, hundreds of baseball card stores, hundreds of liquor stores, It's how you built businesses when you were doing to consumer in the 80s and 90s. It's just how your brain worked. When I went to school, my freshman year in college, the next moment that changed and shaped my life, the the theme of my talk, which is we are living through the biggest culture shift of our time, and you've talked about a lot of things during this conference, and SEO matters, and, and social matters, and all this stuff matters, but what I want to talk to you guys about today is what really matters, which is how substantial this culture shift really is, how many dollars are really in play, and why all of us, including me standing on this stage, are grossly underestimating what is really going on. Let me explain. I was playing Madden 94 against my roommate, dominating him by the way, and my friend walks in and goes, you have to come and see this. I am standing in front of you as somebody who's made a lot of money and been successful and continue to hope to be successful around technology. But I stand in front of you here today and I want everybody to understand this. The only reason that I love and adore social media is because it sells Let me say that again. The far majority of what I'm going to be talking about for the rest of this keynote is gonna sound very, 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 very Mother Teresa and I am not that. The reason I'm doing this is because this is where I think the cash is going. The reason I believe in this and put all my effort into it is this is where I think the customers are going that I wanna tell my story. I don't give a rat's Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, Instagram, or any of that horse What I do care about, and what every one of you should care about, whether you're B2B or B2C, is where do the customer's attention go, and if you're not there, and you're not playing properly within that, you're gonna lose. And so we are living through the biggest culture shift, and I realized that on this magical 1994 day, because in 1994, at the age of, 19, I still have never had a computer in my life. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure if I've ever, yeah, I did. I played like Oregon Trail in some class once. I, 
basically never used a computer at 19 years old. I was writing my papers on a word processor. My friend runs in and says, you gotta come and see this. I'm like, let me finish winning this Madden game. I finish winning that Madden game. I run into this dorm room and I hear the following thing. My friend is sitting in front of this thing and he clicks some buttons and I hear Remember that? Remember paying $13 a minute to be on the internet? AOL? Anyway, it's another story. <laughs> so I hear this thing, right? We were getting, do you guys remember that bill? I mean, there's some youngsters in this crowd. You guys don't remember. We were getting killed out there. My friend signs in. He goes into this chat room. He types in A slash S slash L. Another classic. And he looks at me, because he's sitting, and I'm up here. I'll never forget this look for the rest of my life. He looks at me and he goes, we can get chicks on this thing. (laughs) And as long as I let the pause just happen now while you were laughing, because that made me feel really good, by the way, thank you, was about as long as I paused before my brain said, I can sell on this thing. And that was it, my life changed again, right there and there. I waited like seven hours after every person sat down and tried to get chicks and thought they were getting them. And it was like three in the morning and I finally got to sit down in front of it. I had no idea what I was doing, but somehow I found a baseball card forum within AOL and it was just very obvious to me that this is what was going to be the game changer of my life. I started like reading about the information superhighway and all this stuff, the internet was here and it really with my brain and I realized right then and there I wasn't gonna open up 600 liquor stores, I was gonna do something on this thing. I launched winelibrary.com in 1997. My dad's liquor store was called Shoppers Discount Liquors. I didn't want that, I wanted a brand, I wanted to build something and I launched winelibrary.com in 1997. I went on to run that organization from 1998 to 2004 or so, 2005, day to day. In that five to six year span, I took it from a three to a $70 million business, and I did that strictly on one thing, innovation. See, I launched Wine Library's email service in 1999, but I didn't realize it. What I knew was this. When I think about sports, which is something I care a lot about, especially football, which makes me sick that I'm here this weekend in the precursor of the Jets and Patriots season, but we'll talk about that another time. I really hate the Patriots, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I know, I know you guys know. <laughs> I, I really hate the Patriots. Um, all right, break out of it. Um, so. What, what I know is this, that when you think about where the business world goes, you've got to innovate, and we're living through a huge innovation platform right now. I launched my, my email service in 1999 without realizing that it was an email service. Here's what I knew. Like the sports reference, speed kills, right? Speed kills. And what I understood was that my competitors were putting out catalogs once a quarter and sending them into the mail and letting people buy wine that way. Or if they were really innovating, they were faxing their wine offers. Remember that thing? They were faxing their wine offers to their clients. And then there's this email thing. Do you guys remember the first time you found email? I want, you, I want to take you guys back to that moment. We loved email when it came out. I remember looking at it and saying, wait a minute. I'm never going to write a letter again. I'm never gonna buy a stamp. How's the post office gonna stay in business? Subsidized, but that's another story. But that was a game-changing moment. I I, I know for a lot of parents in the crowd here, your kids went to school, that was the first time you got to stay in touch. I mean, this was a game-changer. We loved email. How do you guys feel about email right now? We hate it. You know why? And this hurts, because I'm standing on stage as a marketer. I know we're talking about the love of marketing. Let me make one statement. Rafters, pay attention. Especially that dude all the way up there. Dude, pay attention to this statement. You ready? Marketers ruin everything. It is what we do. It's what we do. We 
ruin everything. It's our job. We see something shiny and we squeeze the out of it until we can get as much cash into our pockets. It's how we roll. And that's great. I just want to make that statement right now so you understand that everything I'm going to be talking about for the next 45 minutes, everything I'm going to be talking about for the next 45 minutes has about a shelf life of about 36 to 48 months gut feel because we're going to then ruin everything I'm about to talk about and then we'll find the next thing. Google Glasses will come out. We'll start with that, figuring that out. You know, it's all going to happen, right? But everything I'm going to talk about right now will be ruined by us collectively and that's just the way it is and that's fine. Now, Speed kills. So I launched the email service and it was great. I launched it, it was the weekly wine library email service. And you know what happened? I sent an email, I started collecting it. This is 98, 99, 97. You do not realize how far we came. This is how it worked. People would walk into my wine shop, do, 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 you have any of this? They did great, right? I'm like, you should join our email service. Oh yeah, cool, I think I, ha- I just got one of those. Great, what's your email? Pen and paper, pay attention. What's your email? Uh, I think it's AOL at yahoo.com. I mean, that's where we were. Lucky for me, Wall Street was fairly early with email. We were in a place that was very close to that, so people actually had emails. But it was really crazy. People didn't really know. But here's what I know. We hadn't ruined email marketing yet, so my open rates were up. My open rates were like 86%. I mean, like stuff that you can't even imagine. Go look back at 1994 banner ad click-through ratios. When you have time, you'll see numbers like 87%. I mean, if you're like .87, you're a genius now. Like, I mean, think about that. So like, marketers ruin everything, and that's great, and that's what we do, but my email service really mattered, and at first it was the weekly email service, and it was great, and it did tremendous, and people would open it and buy it, and then I got smart and said, you know what, I'm gonna do this, the bi-weekly email service, right? And so we did that, and that worked, and then I did it every day, five days a week, and that worked, and that kind of was the way we stayed for a while, and our sales exploded, and then one day driving to work on a Saturday, I said to myself, people open email on Saturday, right? And so we did that, and that worked, but then you have the diminishing returns. See, There's something really interesting going on right now in the world that not enough of us are talking about. You've spent a lot of time during this conference and you spend a load of your time thinking about customer acquisition. We think about customer acquisition in a B2B or a B2C world at enormity. And when you think about some of the sites that have been successful in B2B or B2C business, their acquisition is great. The tool that is the foundation of this conference is unbelievable. The tool is getting better and better in the release that just came out, ridiculous. The tool is phenomenal. But with all due respect to HubSpot, if you guys at using it, you're not gonna go anywhere. People talk about what's the ROI of social media all the time to me. What's the ROI? Let me ask you guys a question. What's the ROI, getting to the tool conversation, what's the ROI of a piano? Let me explain. The ROI of a piano to me is jack zero. I don't know how to play it, I don't know what to do with it, nothing. The ROI of a piano for Billy Joel and Elton John has been substantial. The ROI of social media to a lot of people is You know why? Because 99.9% of the people that are using social media today at this moment at it, right? You know why? Because they're all acting like 19-year-old dudes. If you look at how businesses and how so many of you, and I've been watching you and looking at the hashtag, some of you are using social media, you're trying to close on the first move. That does not work. And so when you think about what's going on in the marketplace today, it's a very interesting time because so many people are focusing on customer acquisition and they're not focusing on the game that we should all be paying attention to. Because if you've been listening carefully over the last three days, or more importantly, what you've been doing for a living, customer acquisition in an internet world where we can follow everybody doing everything is starting to get mapped. And when you start understanding what banner retargeting ads are doing and how efficient they are to build up lists, if you start understanding why Zynga or Groupon or Living Social or Guilt Group, why they happened, why they happened so fast, a lot of it has to do with customer acquisition the science, the quant of that being mapped. Where I think the huge opportunity for every person in this room is not customer acquisition, because I promise you, 
It's going to be a bigger commodity in five years than you think. The game for everybody in this room is the game that's always been the game, but it's super not sexy, it's not really fast, and nobody really wants to do it, which is retention. Retention's the game, my friends. The game in business is not how many customers you can get, it's how many you can keep. The game for me is not acquisition, it's lifetime value and the percentage of wallet that I get from that person. We are thinking about things in a very American way. More, fast, want, and it's great, and I love it, and that entrepreneurial spirit really matters, but I'm telling you right now, there are way too many data nerds that are really smart that are figuring this out. I knew my goose was cooked a couple years ago when I'm the best wine marketer in the world at the time. I don't care if you felt like that was an egotistical statement. I was the guy, right? I could write an email and sell and crush and kill every time and was dominating. And then one of my developers came in and said, oh, Gary, I think if you make the add to cart button orange instead of blue, we'll get a huge lift. And I was like, you nerd. I was like, nerd, you don't tell me. I know the customer. You hit those buttons. But, but you guys know what happened. I was right. Still, we are now living digitally. We are tracking. We are watching. We're watching every move. There's a little secret that nobody's told you. We collectively don't give a about privacy. They want to tell us we do, but we don't. You know why? You know what the most under-marketed, best brand in the world, but is completely misbranded and is the brand and the worst marketing towards but is the best thing in the world human beings the news and the things that you guys consume have convinced you we're bad meanwhile if you look at the data we're obnoxiously good it is stunning by data how few bad things happen but when they happen you know about them every night we're pounded all the bad things the point zero 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 one percent of us do Remember when MySpace and all these social networks came out? Remember when this all came out and the kids were gonna go to the malls and they were gonna get raped because of MySpace? Remember that whole story? Do you know what's really happening? Do you know what's happening in our society? Crime and child crime and kidnapping is going down. Do you know why? Because all of us are media companies. Because what technology is doing and social is doing is we're exposing the shadows of our society. It's kind of hard to steal a kid now when every is doing what you guys are doing right now with your phones. You can't get away with it. And so we're living in a very interesting time. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time and we completely disrespect it. We talk about a lot of the tactics but when you really understand what the tool that you guys are here under this arena for, what that leads you to and then what you have to do with that tool, then you start really understanding where business is at. Let me explain. Culture shifts. How many people here, by show of hands, have reconnected with somebody that they had not talked to in five years because of Facebook? Raise them, don't get lazy. Almost everybody. How about 10 years? Look at that, almost everybody. 20, give it to me. Guys, 70% of this room has reconnected with another human being that they had not talked to in over 20 years because of the growth of social media. Let's, let's also take this moment to understand right now one thing. I hate the word social media. Hate it. You know why? Because it confuses people. Remember when we called all this Web 2.0 six minutes ago? <laughs> we need to call things things because it makes it easier to talk about. I'm cool with that. Where I'm concerned about is all the people that are debating if social media is good or worthwhile or most importantly, and all of you are thinking this and I get it, is it worth all the time? Because the thing with social is if you want to do social right, there's no automation. There's no auto retweets. There's no auto DMs. There's no automation. Social is human, so it takes time. Humans, time is expensive. So then you start debating the ROI. I get it. But to debate the validity of social 
media is nuts because the word social media is only a word that is referencing the current state of the internet. To bet against the internet in 2012 is a really, really bad idea. I don't think anybody's walking around. And you know what's nuts? Is anybody willing to, today, is anybody willing to stand up right now? This would mean the world to me. Is anybody willing to stand up right now? Honesty is the greatest thing on earth. You're not gonna wanna say yes to this, but I'm setting you up. Is there anybody in the house that is willing to honestly stand up right now, and I want you to stand up, that remembers saying the following thing in 1996-7. This is gonna be tough, but if you said it, please, because the truth is the greatest thing in the world, please stand up. Who here, between the years of 1995 and 1999, said that the internet was a fad? Stand up. Holy I found him. (laughs) Sorry, give me one second. Good thing I've been working out, otherwise I'd be tired. How are you, man? Good. What's your name? Chuck. Chuck. Let's give it up for Chuck's honesty, first of all. (laughs) Chuck. So you remember fundamentally thinking, like, we'll be on this thing for a couple minutes, but then it'll be over. I was 14 at the time. I had uh, a very close friend that was obsessed with AOL. He spent all his time on chat rooms and playing games and looking at porn. Right. And uh, I figured... You didn't, he didn't like the porn part? Well, that part, I could see the appeal. But, yeah. But it just sucked all his time. And I, sure. didn't, I didn't see it as anything being really productive. I mean, I was only 14 at the sure. time. And I'm thinking, you know, my God, there's so much other stuff out there. And this thing is so slow and slow and expensive. You know, I mean... I get it. Did you think that Twitter was the dumbest thing you ever saw when you first saw it? Actually, no. You, you felt into it. I was one of, one of the first people to sign. I was able to get my full name. Got it. At sign, so. How many people in this room, don't lie, lying is the devil. How many people in this room, the first time they saw Twitter, thought it was the dumbest <laughs> they'd ever seen? Good, everyone. Just me and you didn't. Chuck, thank you so much. Let's clap it up for him. I need to get a belt. Um, here's why you all thought Twitter was the dumbest you ever thought. Because you're marketers and you're business people. And you know what we do when we look at things? We looked at Twitter and we said, wait a minute, who gives a if I'm eating a pizza? <laughs> right? You looked at Twitter and you said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. What am I gonna say? That's where the whole thing breaks. That's why so many people are underestimating what's happening right now. The same reason almost all of you thought that Twitter was stupid is the same reason that people are struggling to understand how big and powerful this thing really is. Because all of you looked at Twitter and said, what am I gonna say? And I said, holy I can see what people are saying and engage it. And that's why I love Twitter. When I looked at Twitter, and more importantly, when Samize.com came out, and I could search every single thing that was being said on Twitter, when I searched the word wine, I could engage. I didn't act like a 19-year-old dude. I didn't come in and say, hey, Sally, I see that you're talking about Pinot Grigio. We have a sale on it. No, I said, you're drinking Pinot Grigio. Are you nuts? That is whack. (laughs) Pinot Grigio. (laughs) How many people in this room love Pinot Grigio? Raise your hand, don't be scared. So, for the 150 of you, please do me a favor. Suave, S-O, A-V-E, half the price. Don't buy the bowl of Suave in the big bottle, don't be cheap. Go for like the eight to $12 Suave from Italy, 2010 vintage, really strong. You will stop drinking the PG horse Okay. <clears throat> we defaulted into saying, what are we gonna say? Because we wanna sell. I'm telling you guys, if you go counterintuitive on this whole thing, the upside is dramatic. I am thinking about writing a new book. The title is called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And by the way, Harper Collins, if you don't let me put in all those jabs, I'm not writing the book. <laughs> You're killing it. I'll just go direct. Mm. So, culture shifts, right? Culture shifts. 
We are living through the biggest culture shift of our time. And it's happening because almost all of you have reconnected with a human being that you hadn't talked to in 20 years. Now let's talk about what's really happening. The attention and eyeballs of the end consumer. No matter if you're doing B2B or B2C, the only thing you want to do, whether you're Apple or you're a firm right now trying to get to three specific buyers because they represent 80% of the market, no matter if you're that or if you're Apple, the biggest company in the world, you, myself, and everybody in between, we're in the same business. One thing, we have a story to tell and we want the attention of the consumer to tell it. The person that's best at getting the attention combined with telling the best story converts the best. Yes, there's other things, and landing page optimization, that's all important. That's part of the story if you think about the marketing aspect of it. It all matters. Whoever tells the best story to the people wins. Where are our eyeballs and ears going? That to me is the thing that I'm completely obsessed with right now. Where are we spending our time? We are spending our time more and more on social sites, on other places that don't look like the places we used to. How many people in this room use a TiVo or DVR or On Demand or Hulu to watch the far majority of their television? Please raise your hand. Oh weird, everyone. How many people in this room have not consumed a single television commercial in 2012 because of this modern technology? Please raise your hand. An enormous amount if you think about it. How many people taking out live sports and the Grammys have not consumed a commercial this year? More. Meanwhile, the far majority of my clients at VaynerMedia are spending 80% of their budgets, tens of millions of dollars on reaching you through commercials, yet you're not consuming them. How many people here do direct mail for their business? Please raise your hand. It's good, I, use, I do too, don't worry. Raise your hand. I always find this to be a funny question because a lot of people do it, but every time I ask it, you should have seen what just happened. How many people here do direct mail? And this is what I saw. How many people here feel that they consume direct mail? That when you come home and you open your mailbox, you live all that dog that's in your inbox? How many people, how many people consume it hardcore? That's good, good, nice, you like it? Okay, I'll go through it, it's entertainment, fair. When you think about the cost of that delivery, or more importantly, my favorite example of traditional marketing versus new marketing, how many people here are really giving thought to the one thing that I think Oprah Winfrey is most right about in the entire world? which is, when you leave here today, do good old Gary one favor. A lot of you are gonna be traveling home, a lot of you are gonna be traveling back to your apartments. When you're driving in the cab or your car, I want you to look at four people while you're driving. While you're in the car, remember this keynote, look at four people while you're driving. I guarantee two of them are texting. It's dangerous out there. I have not driven this carefully in a long time because I'm really paying, I feel like I'm 17 again, I'm really paying attention because two of them are driving. So, in a world where two out of every four people that are driving are clearly texting while they're driving, why are we spending billions of dollars on outdoor media? Guys, we're living through culture shifts. People are not looking at billboards. They're not even looking at the road. Then you think about display ads, right? You think about the ads. Do you know that there's an interesting study I'm looking at right now, I, don't, I hate to quote it because I haven't done all the homework, but the basic thesis is if you're 24.6 years old, you basically are struggling to see the right side of a website because that's where the ads have always been. You've fundamentally trained your body to not see it, right? And think about, I mean, we, I think a far majority of people here are doing some sort of SEM or display advertising or have played with it or have seen it. I mean, think about what are the accepted click-through ratios. You know, could you imagine living in a world where less than 1% was considered awesome? Right? But they work and they bring value and I get it. But when you start thinking about the movement right now to native ads, integrating it, to the things that BuzzFeed is talking about, share through, we're living through a very interesting time. We only care about breaking through and then telling our story. And here's what's happening. Here's where it all ties in. We are living through a stream economy. Every person in this room and more and more of our customers are now living through a world where they do this, where they do this, and it's fast, 
and it's hard to tell stories there. And all of a sudden, micro content really matters. All of a sudden, being in this room and understanding that if a video on Facebook is over 10 seconds, it doesn't do as well as if it's nine seconds. That's gonna start mattering. Because here's the most important picture I wanna paint you. When the television came out, Barbie put out a commercial. One of the first commercials. You know what the commercial was? It was the dude that was doing the radio ad, sitting in front of a camera, reading the radio ad. That was it, that was the commercial. You know why? Because there was this huge culture shift and there was a new platform and what they did, rightfully so, because it's what we do, is they put what they thought worked there onto here and figured it worked. Clearly that has evolved. But what I see going on in social today from a day-to-day basis is people doing the Barbie commercial on television. We continue to do things on there as if they were websites, as if they were a banner campaign as if they were a copy or print mentality. And we're living in a world where we're living in a stream economy, whether it's Pinterest, which is a little more like this, Facebook, a little bit more like this, Tumblr, Instagram, we're living through a speed place where we want to tell our stories, and so how do you break through? Two ways, tremendous understanding of micro content and what that means and where that's going, but number two, the thing that I love the most, If content is king, and we've all heard that, context is God. The word that every person in here is going to care about over the next 10 to 15 years is context. We are now getting more data on people than ever before. You know why? You've all reconnected with people that you hadn't talked to in 20 years. You know what they're saying on Facebook? Snickers are delicious. We've all agreed that the music industry has been disrupted, right? We've all agreed that. You know, you don't buy CDs anymore, you buy one song at a time, you don't buy in bundles. Disrupted. Napster, iTunes, disrupted. We all, based on what I said about my next book, you guys reacted, we can all agree that publishing is on its way to being really disrupted, right? Direct to consumer, on your iPad, your Kindle, disrupted. The one thing I implore you to think about on this talk, the one thing I beg you, and I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down, because this is a very big moment. This really, 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 really matters to me. And if, and if I can get this across, then, I, then we've won. The one thing that we are not talking anywhere close to enough about is that communication has been disrupted. The way we communicate as human beings has been massively, massively, fundamentally disrupted and changed. There are grown men in this room that texted in the last 24 hours the following thing. OMG. <laughs> Do you remember, how many people here have, are parents, have nieces or nephews or something that's, somebody that's very important to them in the ages of now uh, 15 to 22? Please raise your hand. Quite a bit of you. Do you remember three years ago this conversation, maybe four, when you rolled up on little Ricky and said, Ricky, I don't give a how you talk to your friends, but when your father calls, you pick up the phone. Remember that? Just curious. How's that working out for you? And it's not because little Susie or little Ricky were so smart, it's that they had technology on their side. Some poor sap bought 10,000 horses the day Henry Ford created the car. Technology doesn't give a about you or me. It's just gonna continue to move and change. And we are living through the biggest shift ever. Let's talk about B2B for a second. We are now living in a world where you can figure out exactly who you're looking for to sell to by going into LinkedIn. Now, because of the way LinkedIn has been evolving, though it could change a little bit with the way Twitter's evolving, you have a great opportunity to actually see who the person is in real life. See, we have data, and you guys have data on business, on who people are as a customer. You know what they spend. I know a load about you if you're a wine customer of winelibrary.com from a wine standpoint. I know that you drink Pinot Grigio, right? I know you do X, Y, and Z. I know your average spend and where you live, but what I don't know is who you are. See, what Facebook did was it mapped the social graph. But if you're paying close attention to what Tumblr and Pinterest and Instagram are doing right now, they're starting to map something that I think a lot of us are gonna be playing in over the next decade, which is the interest graph. 
My friends, I'm telling you right now, the interest graph really matters. Here's why. You can know a whole lot about me, but if you know that I love and live for the New York Jets, then you have a much better chance of selling me. And so anybody in this room who's a salesperson or has sales DNA knows the more you know about the person, the better shot you got. It's why you take them to dinner. It's why you take them to the ball game. It's why you do those things, that face-to-face time. But now what's happening is we're living a digital life. We're sharing more things on the phone and to the public than we ever did before. We're saying things on the social web that we would have never picked up the phone and called our friend about. Nobody in this room picked up the phone 10 years ago and said, Pinkberry yogurt's delicious. But you're all doing that now. And what that does is creates context on who you are and what you like. And if you use that, I mean, to think about how to do business in a B2B world today, it's so easy. Jesus, you go to LinkedIn, you find out who the is, then you find them on social, you watch what they like and you reverse engineer the whole thing. It takes eight seconds, let's do it. I mean it. It sounds ridiculous and sounds fast, but it's actually the way it's doing. We, as a B2C retailer now, we are trying to map every single person's Facebook and Twitter account for our wine library customer base for one reason. We want to know who you are so that we can jab, 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 right hook you. We just sent somebody tickets to a barbecue festival in Kansas City because we knew that he liked it. The end. The tickets cost me more than the profit I've made on him so far. But guess what? Knowing from other stories, he's about to tell 437 people about it. And you know what that's called? Customer acquisition. Because what I like to say is something, I love this saying, I'm curious if this is gonna be the most retweeted one. I set that up. (laughs) I really like this though, it capsulizes exactly how I feel. As our world goes more Jetsons, the business people, the marketers and business in this room that act more like the Flintstones are gonna win. See, what I know, looking at all your pretty faces right now, is that every one of your grandparents was more prepared to be successful over the next 20, 30 years than you are. You know why? Because they really gave up. And you know, want to hear some bad news? You don't. You don't. You do, but you don't. You can't help it. As much as you think you do, you don't. Because effort, effort for your end user is such a limited thing. Our time is being spread into so many more directions now. And time is such a valuable asset that you can only build so much you know, hard data. There's only 24 hours in a day. And so effort, we have a massive effort, supply and demand issue right now. People want effort, which is why when a company as brilliant as Zappos creates effort, we let them get away with murder. We all love Zappos. I love you, Tony, but I have to do this. We all love Zappos, right? Nobody ever talks about that Zappos is far from the best price. I mean, we love price. It's why Walmart and Costco and all these things work, right? We live on price. But because they give them, we're willing to pay more. Oh my God, they ship us stuff back and forth. No face, they're charging you for it. <laughs> but you love it, right? You love it, and that's great. That's great marketing, that's great storytelling, that's great execution, and they found what people cared about, were willing to pay more. I mean, I've literally had people tell me they're much happier to play, this is a true survey that we did for Wine Library. People are happier to pay more in total in their wine for the year, more in total, if we charged them more and gave them free shipping. Want it. And I'm like, you, why? But they want it. Good, we'll give it to you. I mean, that's what's so interesting. Understanding where market shifts are going, what they care about. Let me give you a free shipping story. Supply and demand, culture shifts. I did free shipping for the first time in Wine Library in 1999. It is still one of the biggest days in Wine Library history. We are 15x the size of what we were back then. But in 1999, free shipping from an internet company was rare. It caught people off guard. We sold so much wine over that eight day period, I felt like people were buying wine that week like they thought the cure was inside of these bottles, right? I didn't sleep. Me, living in the thank you economy back then, had an interesting moment. Some guy bought a bunch of wine, and in the comment section, my guy in the order department did a great job. He knew I cared about things like this. He said, in the comment section, he said, "Um, thank you for doing this. This is incredible. I just bought this wine for my daughter's wedding. Me, living in the thank you economy back then, 
call him and say, Jim, thank you so much for the order. Can you please tell me the date of the wedding and where it is? I've got a really special bottle of champagne I'd like to send for you and your daughter to enjoy. He replies, oh, no, 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 no. My daughter's 12, Gary. I said, what? He goes, yeah, my daughter's 12 years old, but this is such a sick deal, I'm gonna put the wine in the basement and wait. <laughs> now, we're all so collectively spoiled, we don't buy unless it is free shipping. Consumer expectations change, and let me tell you one dirty secret about social that's gonna fuck with all of us. If you don't give effort to your customer, you're gonna lose. You know why? Because of social and because it's scalable, effort is much more scalable on the internet with these platforms, a lot of people are going to. See, a lot of people wanna talk about what's the ROI of social media or all these new sites? What they're not taking into account is the dilution of the other platforms. Do you know that I have not gone to Google to search anything in the last year? Like, I just don't go there. I don't go to Google. Now, yes, I have a lot more followers than the average person, so for me to tweet or Facebook a question or thought is a lot easier, but I don't go there. You know why? Do you guys remember Google in 1999, 2000, 2001? Do you remember that? Remember when you never went past the first or second result? It was that good? Remember that thing? What happened? Marketers ruin everything, right? We started filling out meta tags and all that, figuring it out and gaming it. So we're living through that. Now, ironically, and this thought is not fully fleshed out, which is why I'm only giving you a sneak peek of it because I don't want to be that on the record. But when you start thinking about what Google Plus is doing, I'm actually, man, this is going to hurt. I'm actually pretty bullish on Google Plus. Let me explain. Google Plus, I don't think, is actually a social network. It's a social network API. It's a layer. I started seeing some stuff that kind of blew my mind. Imagine a world where you search for wine on Google and on the right side is my profile and my latest status update because I have the most social equity in the wine space. So we're living through a place where things continue to change. And what I know is this, humans like to buy from humans. We wanna have a relationship. You have to care about the end user because somebody else is going to, because the tools are being put in place through amazing SaaS products like we've got here and other things in, out there, just the public data. The data is now out there for the first time to be able to have a relationship with the end consumer and it really, really matters. And more importantly, understanding who you're selling to matters more than ever. We are living through a time right now, right this second, where innovation is happening so fast. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the travel websites, the top travel websites are now getting more traffic on their apps collectively than their websites and that's mobile and .com together. What does that mean? That changes the game. I mean, we're living in a world where this thing is the precursor to the robot that we were all promised. Remember that robot that was gonna clean your room in the 80s? This thing is now that. What happens in a world where we're paying for everything with this? What happens in a world where the kind of apps that are gonna be built are gonna be on the technology of this? For example, here's where I think innovation's going. I wanna lose 10 pounds. I'm gonna have an app that's gonna help me to do that, and when I have to go pay for something at Burger King because I'm running through the airport and I'm hungry, when I go to pay, my app's gonna tell me to go eat a salad. <laughs> we are living through the single biggest culture shift. Using the tools really matters. You being here makes me realize that you understand one of the best tools in the marketplace and you know what you have to do. What concerns the living out of me is that I think you think the tool's gonna do it for you. The tool's gonna get you to the place but you've got to execute. And the execution is hard. The execution's hard. The way you scale social is human beings. It just is. The automated, our radars are incredible. Do you know how good our radars are? Remember this trick in email marketing? Remember this one? When we started figuring out we could put the person's name in the beginning? You know how, uh, you, know how you feel when you get an email from somebody and your name, comma, is in a different font and color than the rest of the email, you want to punch the screen with your neck, right? <laughs> that hurt, actually. Our radars are greater than ever. The kids that are growing up today and our future customers, they've been marketed to from the second they started breathing, unlike some of us. Their radars are better than ours. 
authenticity really matters. It's hard to scale that. It takes a lot of manpower, a lot of hours. There's a lot of cost to that. The tools will get us there, but understanding what to do with that data is the entire game. I am shocked. We do something at VaynerMedia called Surprise and Delight, where we map our customers and our own employees' interest graph. It's quite easy. You look at what people are taking pictures of on Instagram, and you know what they're into. You look at what they're talking about on Twitter, and you know what they're into. I am blown away that, and this is like, and this comes from me being a really hardcore salesman, so I can feel it. I'm blown away by how many people want to figure out the best tactics on SEO, the best landing page optimization, the best this, that, and the other thing, and are completely lost that everything happens after they swipe their credit card with you for the first time. Everything happens in year two and three. The problem is, it. Everybody's treating social, you know, this one doesn't go over so well with the ladies. So first of all, I just want you to know, the top executives in my company are, are women. My mom is my favorite person in the world. But this is the perfect analogy. And this doesn't mean I'm talking about you. I'm probably talking about that girlfriend of yours. You know that one I'm talking about. Ready? <laughs> this is how I see people looking at their business right now, and especially social. I actually have a very dear girlfriend, uh, a friend that is a girl, that... Uh, fundamentally put dramatically more effort into her wedding than she has into her marriage. And it's not even close. And as I look around the room, I saw a lot of people shake their head. I think when you look at the marketplace and how big weddings have become and how that industry has become, that there's a lot of people out there that are spending more time on planning their wedding than the effort that they're putting into their actual marriage. That is what I feel is happening in marketing as well. So many people are worrying so hardcore about the tactics that you've learned over the last three days, they're not paying attention to what happens next. What happens next, my friends, is gonna be the whole game. Do you know why? Because if they're teaching at you this conference, they're teaching it at 40 other conferences, the tactics are a commodity. Your effort and how much you give a about a customer isn't. If you learn how to scale that and how to afford that, you will win going forward because the collision of people's radars, what they expect from companies and expectations, and the fact that the commodity of everybody being able to get to everybody through the same means are colliding, which leaves one thing. Who's going to care more about the end user? How are they going to scale that? And in a world where we're only going to have 20 hundredths of a second to reach people, because no longer, like the 1970s, do we sit down, 80% of us, and watch happy days, and then don't get up and go take a or make popcorn and watch a commercial. The new Procter & Gamble, that day is over. And the days of me in 1998 getting people's emails and getting 86% open rates because nobody else emailed spam them are over. And do you remember 36 months ago when you loved Groupon and Living Social because you couldn't wait to get $40 worth of sushi for $20? You remember that? <laughs> How do you feel about those sites now? You hate them because they spammed you into a oblivion and you don't give a about spa treatments anymore. So as awesome as that feels, and as much as we clap it up, you're doing the same in your business, and so am I. We're doing the same tried and true, it's converting, we understand the math, but what we never look at is the diminishing returns. See, life's funny, right? You see something happening and you're like, that's a terrible move, right? Because we don't know what would have happened otherwise. You just don't know. That's what I'm hoping heaven is, by the way. I can't wait. When I die, if I get up there and it isn't where I can watch my whole life and instant replay and then say, well, what if I did this and then see the outcome? I'm going to be <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I went off on a tangent there. I'm just super hot on that theory. It'd be so cool. Like, oh, holy if I left four minutes later, I would have met Keyshawn Johnson. Amazing. Anyway. <laughs> you know it's working because you're looking at the data. But the data, my friends, is the post game. Intuition and common knowledge of what consumers want and what you want as a customer imposed into your business really matters. Understanding that in a world where we are getting pounded with information, I mean, no wonder our kids are ADD, right? I mean, you hear the Eric Schmidt quote, bless you, you hear the Eric Schmidt quote of the amount of data that we're creating now in every 48 hours is equal to the amount of information we created from the beginning of mankind until 2003. I want you to hold the hands of the neighbors next to you because this one matters that much. I'm gonna repeat it again. The amount of information that we, you guys aren't holding hands, please a little something. Something, it's nice, it feels crazier than you think. Doesn't that feel nice? Do you guys know each other? 
and now you feel like you know each other a little more, right? Yeah, <laughs> best. The amount of information we created from the beginning of mankind, we're pounding dinosaurs, the beginning, until 2003, which was like 16 minutes ago, that collective amount, we are now replicating in every 48 hours. So what do you think is gonna break through? Your landing page? Yeah, it is, at times, if you know the funnel and you're this, that, the other thing. But I'm telling you, with all my heart, it is a clear indication, if you pay close attention to what's working, you've got to build a brand, otherwise it's a tactic. You've got to build a brand, otherwise it's a tactic. And the brands that are gonna survive going forward are the ones that are behind the backbone of effort. Because all the other stuff that you talk about and all this other stuff that this conference has been about, you're gonna do it anyway. You know why? When push comes to shove, we get desperate and we start converting. I'm just trying to shift you a hair. Just give me a inch. Give me, some, give me an uh. Give me something. Because I'm telling you, the residuals that are tremendous. Now, what's really most interesting to me is that we can now track it a lot better. In, 19, in 2001, it snowed in New Jersey uh, on December 23rd, which was the, one of the busiest days of the year. Typically, December 23rd is the busiest day of the year in a liquor store. Um, and a woman called us, we just started shipping, and her case of Behringer White Zinfandel wasn't delivered. First of all, I appreciate the people that know what Behringer White Zin is, good job. <laughs> the entire case, by the way, 15 pack, the entire 15 pack case cost $45. We're doing about $40,000 an hour in the store. She calls. I find out about it. Somehow it was buzzing because I was on the floor selling. I am the premier salesman on the floor, as you can imagine. <laughs> I find out about it and we're debating what to do. She needs it for her Christmas dinner. I grab the case throw it in my car, and drive to Bergen County to deliver it. It takes me two and a half hours to complete the whole thing. The woman was 194 years old. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of lifetime value on the back end there. She looked like Yoda. <laughs> and the best part was, I delivered it, all pumped with myself, and she said, great, and closed the door. Awesome. Everybody, especially my dad, who was that I left because all the customers that came in asking for me or that I could have sold, everybody was baffled. I can't tell you what the ROI of driving through the snow in my car to deliver a case of $45 pink to a woman that looked like Yoda was. <laughs> but I can tell you this. Over the next two to three years, that story became the foundation of how we treated every single customer. It became our competitive edge. And those are the things that matter to me. I love black and white data, I'm obsessed with it. The day when the nerd beat me, I understood that the nerds beat me. And I respect the living out of data, conversion funnels, all that But I'm telling you right now that there are way too many running businesses today with this and not enough people running businesses with this. And again, I swear on my life, I am not Mother Teresa, and I far from run my business just on this. But I'm telling you right now, the reason I amassed my following, the reason why I continue to retain it, is because my percentage of this far outweighs every in this room. I mean it. That's how I feel, and that's how I try to roll every day. And I promise you, if you are able to figure out how to afford, how to afford, the allocation of this in your business more, your long-term value will be dramatically higher. Your long-term business success will be dramatically higher. Your grandparents, your great-grandparents built businesses based on this, it's how we built the whole thing. We got really lean and mean when we went to the suburbs and big box stores and all we cared about was dollars and it's great and the data matters and continue to use it and use this tool and understand it. But I'm asking you one final thing, when you go home if this talk meant anything, and by the way, I fundamentally believe only three of you are gonna act on this talk, I do. Because what I talk about is ridiculously hard and massively frustrating and takes forever. You know, like everything that's good in life. 
If you do anything because of this keynote, there's only one thing I ask you to do because as zenny as I got, I'm a practical Here's what I want from you. When you go home, look yourself in the mirror and audit everything you and your business do. I promise you that if you audit from top to bottom of expenses and effort and time and energy and payroll and all that, if you audit all of it, even the best of us, even the InBevs, which is the company that bought Budweiser, they built their whole business on like printing on both sides of the paper and all that horse Even the most efficient ones of us are doing 20% dumb If you take that 8%, that 13%, that 16% of dumb shit that you're doing, paying that person that's not bringing any cultural value to your business, having that contract that you've just been in and you just renew because you're busy as f- whatever the f- you're doing, if you take any piece of that percentage and you apply it to giving a f- about your customer, it will be better for your business going forward because for the first time since we all lived in small towns where your reputation was the complete backbone of how you did business, for the first time because technology is bringing us back together in a small town, for the first time being good and caring and following up matters. It matters. How about doing something random act of kindness for a current customer, not the ones that unsubscribed or left? You know how you always do nice when they're going? How about while you've got them? Reallocate your thought process, I'm telling you, because the tools that the, is the umbrella of this, organiz, of this event are getting so good, so good. You know what that means? All that is about to become a commodity. Emotional EQ is going to dominate business over the next decade, and I implore you to start paying attention. And oh, by the way, I'll leave you with this. You know what the best part is, it feels good. Thank you. Hey guys, if you have an Alexa and you are not subscribed to the Daily V, excuse me, the Gary V365, then you are my worst friend. Gary V365, hey Alexa, play my briefings. Come on Alexa, do it. Oh, she's talking but it's not very loud. Anyway, it worked. You can leave it there. Anyway. You have an Alexa, Gary V365, download it now.